All right, let's have a let's have a go. Here we go, here we go. Let's pray and let's go. Almighty God, who sent your only Son and placed him into our hands that we might care for him, we pray you now, let his power show through and let his kingdom grow and let his church increase that all creation is delivered into your glorious liberty. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, good to see you. Um, you're very kind to keep coming out. I promise we won't go beyond February, okay? So three or four more times after this, depending on, you know, how things go and, and what you think. There is in front of you a little thing for receiving new members. Uh, mark Easter Vigil on your calendar. So I can't remember off the top of my head when Easter is. Is it the 13th, the 17th? Anybody know? 17th. There you go. That's the kind of guy who would know that information. So the night before... Easter Eve is much like Christmas Eve. It's this glorious service. If you've never been to one, well, you, you know, if you're joining, you'll be there. But it's, uh, you know, it should start outside with a big bonfire, but we always think about the liability of leaving a fire roaring after we go inside. But, but you know, we've done that from time to time. But in any case, uh, just so you have seen something that looks like this, hey, it says this is the one, say, receiving new members, right? Hey, um, you want to be part of this. Are you out of your mind? That's what the first part says. Uh, do you accept to confess all these things you've learned and from the small catechism are faithful and true? Yeah. Uh, do you want to be a member here? Uh, yes, I do. And make diligent, and make, you'll notice how this all talks about you know, the best of cases and make diligent use of the means of grace. You're going to come to church and lead a godly life and are you really in on this? This is all the things that we've been saying as well. So not names on a page, but come on. We're trying to pull you into a particular life. Uh, I will if God helps me. Will you support the work here with all you've got? Yes, I will. Okay, then, then you're in. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's a serious business. The great, you know, the most poignant line from the Archbishop last week, you know, when he said to us, you know, who do you think, you know, think of the worst persons you can think of, the Nazis. And then, you know, he said, well, you know, we were under the communists and when the Nazis came to town, we welcomed them as liberators. And then he said, you remember he said, but not for long. But, you know, you kind of go, you know, that's a different kind of life. If you're uh, under the communists and you, and so, and so some of these, you know, say, you know, at confirmation time, hey, would you rather... Um, give up everything, even life itself. Are you willing to die for the thing you're about to say? And people always say yes, but then I always think, ah, I wonder if they've thought that all the way through. So uh, think it all the way through. Now, we have to start to bundle things up. So we've tried to pull you into this uh, wonderful life. And this life is based on our Lord's love for you and all the ways that he expresses it. Now, on a perfect world, there's a catechism in front of you. And since we said, oh yeah, um, like it says in the catechism, occasionally we should look at that. So uh, if you've got a catechism, take a look. If you need to take a catechism, steal one. These are meant for you to take, take with you, right? So we should do a couple of things. But we just, we finished up with the absolution point, so we should just take a quick look at that. Now, we shouldn't be saying anything different in the catechism than we said here. So confession is page 25 in the front. And you've noticed, I mean, I said this way back at the beginning, but you noticed I'm, we're going through things in an existential way, the way you experience it as you come in to the church, as opposed to sort of the way it's written in the catechism. You can do it either way. But so often, what we're doing here is trying to explain what we're doing in there. So you come in, and the first thing you do is, you know, make the sign of the cross, and that's all about being baptized. The next thing you do is kneel down and confess. And so that's this. Page 25, hey, what's confession? There's a couple of parts to that. That we confess our sins... And so we've learned what a sin is from the Ten Commandments. And here's the great joy. 
Everything else is free to you. Have God first. Don't take his name in vain. Meet you here every Sunday. And uh, love your spouse, honor your parents. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill. Take good care of your kids and be happy with what you've got. And beyond that, the world is yours, right? So the Ten Commandments are very, the Ten Words, very basic. And they leave you a lot of room for latitude, right? And so what I've tried to work you out of over the past few weeks is feeling guilty about something that's not a sin. So this is really important, if I haven't said it before. I've said it to a couple of you in private, but no sin, no guilt. No sin, no guilt, right? You only feel guilty about sins, the rest is free. And if you've got sins and they get forgiven, that's a no sin, no guilt. So every Sunday you should leave completely relieved that all is well. So you kneel down and you confess our sins. And second, you receive absolution, which is just the pastor saying to you, hey, Jesus died for that. So we went through this last week. In the stead, by the command, I forgive you all your sins in the name of so it's like an ambassador going for a president or a, uh, uh, someone going for a king, a nuncio going for the pope. Somebody who says, it's all going to be okay. You, this, this counts. So we confess our sins. We get absolution. What sin should we confess? Uh, when you lie down tonight, you should say, oh Lord, forgive them all. Before God, we plead guilty of all our sins. Right? Even those we're not aware of. So you're going to do things today hurt people in ways you don't even know. And I'm sure you've had this experience where someone said, ah, that hurt, and you're like, oh, I don't even remember, I didn't mean it, or... But you say, you know, you plead guilty of all your sins, just as we do in the Lord's Prayer. And then if you uh, go see the pastor, you should say, this is the sin that troubles me. And remember, we went through private confession last week. This is when you come for confession. You say, um, I've lived as if God mattered, did not matter, and if... as I've lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. I haven't loved my neighbor as I ought. What particularly troubles me is, right? And so the whole point of that is to leave your sins at the altar. So should you come for confession, um, you just say the things that, that trouble you, the things you know. And... Uh, here's some ways to think about yourself. And we did this a little bit at the Ten Commandments. You think about, I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. What particular things uh, have I done? Where have I failed? Or where have I failed to help? And so then, uh, the form of confession is in here, and we, we sort of ran through that. But basically, it's this sense of, you want to leave your sins behind. Okay? So, uh, you move through that, and you come into this, this life. And I, I um, you know, there's almost a mantra here from way back when I got started, but we're trying to pull you into a particular thing, into this rhythm where Christ is at the center, and then it's Christ and Scripture and prayer and the Holy Liturgy and the Eucharist and tithing and alms, and great mercy. And what you'll find out is, if you live that way, people will crawl through fire to join the church. So the, imagine the entire world is crazy and the church is not. That's how it should be. Now, you know as well as I, churches are crazy too, right now, or they have been for the last few years. And that's a whole other conversation. But just for our two blocks, I think I told you this. Um, we were with a group of pastors, and they said, you know, what are you trying to do? I might have even said it to you. The whole goal over the past few years was to try to keep the wound small so that it can heal. I, and I told you about a pastor who said to me, I said, how's your congregation? He said, it's divided in half. The two sides hate each other, and both sides hate me. And you kind of go... That's not good, right? So, uh, Christ and Scripture, 
prayer, which we'll start to talk about next week, trying to get your prayers in order, and to do it in a way that doesn't make you guilty, but in a way that you say, ah, this is the best thing that ever happened. Christ in Scripture and prayer, and then the Holy Eucharist, uh, the Holy Liturgy with the Holy Eucharist at the center, and you know this already from when you come here, you know, if you, you'll start to notice things. You know, if you come through, you'll notice that there's 12 windows that welcome you in because 12 is the apostolic number. And you'll walk in and the stone is from Jerusalem where Jesus walked. And then you'll look down by the font and there is, you know, this red stone, but in there is a white stone and three white stones. Christ, uh, the Holy Trinity is one and three, right? And then there are eight births because you get baptized on the eighth day because there were eight persons in Noah's Ark and God spoke eight times at creation and Jesus rose on the eighth day and then you'll walk with him on the road to Emmaus and he'll stop at the lectern and talk to you the way he talked to the disciples in Emmaus uh, and he'll teach through the pastor at the pulpit and then we'll all kiss and make up I love you, I love you back. And then Jesus will come to each one of us in his body and blood. And coming to us in his body and blood, he makes us one. And then he'll bless us and send us out into the world again to be merciful and not to be crazy. Right? So everything that happens, it all, it all sort of fits together. We're trying to bring you into a particular life. You know, Christianity is not just about a name on a page. It's not even just about showing up on a Sunday. It's about Christ permeates your whole life with love and then that love is expressed to other people and then come what may, you're in God's hands. And so many people in the world have a much different understanding, even church people, about what in the world is happening here. But God is love and God is in us and God loves us, so we are love. And, you know, one of the ways that we, we confess that is in the creed. Now, you grow up uh, in the church, and, you know, it's sort of the boring old creed. Or especially when I came here, uh, you know, there are people who say, well, I would never say a creed, or we don't say a creed, or that's just a sort of made-up thing. So we should at least have a look at that. But before you do that, I wonder, there's just this little quote from Pope Francis uh, on, uh, on the bottom of this page where it says, God is tender with us. And if you could think about God as being tender with you, right? We think about God in so many ways. He's abandoned me or he's hurt me or he's allowed me to be hurt. But God loves you and God is tender with you and come what may, you're in God's hands. And the great difficulty for us is to move through life even when we're wounded and still understand that God loves us and does us good and uses us well. A very difficult thing for us. But that's what it means to have God at point number one. If God is love and God loves me, God never leaves me and God never hurts me. And I live my life on that basis which is the only way that you can escape despair and meanness and the notion that life is meaningless. So this very nice bit, God meddles in our miseries. God meddles in our miseries. He approaches our wounds and heals them with his hands. So the gospel is touch, right? It was to have hands that he became man. And so we talked last week about the pastor being covered up except for his mouth to say God loves you and his ears to listen for your troubles and his hands to touch you and his feet to get to you. That's why a pastor wears vestments. Everything is covered up except what he needs to deliver Christ to you. God does not save us only by decree with the law. He saves us with tenderness. He saves us with caresses. Now you think back to doing the prodigal son story where in that Rembrandt where the father is wrapped around the son. Right? He saves us 
with his life given for us. And so that puts Christ at the center of everything. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Christ who died for you. And to keep that in front of you changes everything about your life. So this great line from scripture, not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. Not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I've got nothing except what I've been given. But if I've been given Christ, then I've been given everything. And the whole trick is to live together like that. And if you can find a group of people who are willing to live together like that, it really is heaven on earth. And that's what the church is meant to be. So, you know, the church has experimented with this all over the place in all different forms, from Anthony living alone in the desert to St. Francis, you know, starting a monastery and twice having the monks under him try to poison him, right? I mean, on to Luther and on to all, all sorts of good folks. You want to get in that line and be part of it. First, because it's true. God loves you. And then because it's beautiful, you will discover how fabulous it is. And third, it makes you useful as you're aligned with Christ in the whole cosmos, moving toward your telos, your goal, your end, which is to be forever before the face of God. And, you know, if we can just sort of, nobody thinks that way. That's not how people talk about the church, but they should. Because God is tender with us, and God comes to us in Christ, and God touches us, and he loves us. So I wonder, tomorrow, you've got a creed in front of you. It's just, you know, the one that runs every week. I wonder if you can think about this as uh, a love letter. And I wonder if you could read it as a piece of poetry or a short story, right? I mean, just, you know, why are you here? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible. So that's powers and dominions and thrones, guardian angels, the Holy Spirit, right? I believe in God, my Father, Almighty, which means nothing can destroy me, maker of heaven and earth. He, I'm only here because he wanted to love one more person, So he made me, and you're only here because he wanted one more to love. Love always kind of seeks the next thing. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible. So as Pope Francis once said, scientists see reality. He said this in a very positive way. Scientists see reality. Theologians see beneath reality. Or if you've read The Little Prince, the next good thing lies over the horizon, right? So this very false distinction between science and faith, right? No, they just do two different things, which are sometimes complementary and sometimes frustrate each other. But, you know, I believe in everything visible and invisible. I believe that I have an angel right here protecting me. I'm quite literal when I say this to you. I also have a demon who's sizing me up right now, looking for my weakness and causing me to stumble. You do too. And if you don't recognize that, you'll be disadvantaged in everything you do in life. You'll be less than what the Lord wants of you. You remember the story in the Old Testament where the prophet's eyes are opened and he sees angels all around protecting him. I believe in all of that. And in one Lord, so if you're stack-ranking gods, this is the one. Jesus, call his name Jesus, he'll forgive your sins. The Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. God keeps his promises for me. The only begotten Son of God. That's our way of saying he's a son, but we don't quite, uh, it's difficult for us to express something about someone who has no beginning and yet finds his being in his heavenly Father. And you'll notice that the whole part about Jesus is the fact part. And that's because that's where the most of the arguing has been done. 
If you were going to burn somebody at the stake, you burned them at the stake for the fat part. It's not so hard for folks to believe there's a God. And even a Holy Spirit is a nice notion that gets romanticized. But how Jesus is the Son of God, or how Jesus is true God and true man, undiminished, is very hard to describe. But here's what we believe. One Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father. So in some sense, he has his being from the Father and yet is without time, without beginning. Begotten of his Father before all worlds. Right? God of, now how can you talk about that? How can you, there's no way to talk about that. How can you even talk about it? Okay, say the things you know. God of God, so they're the same. Light of light, so they both burn brightly. Very God of very God. Very is the old way of saying true. True God, true God of true God. Begotten, not made. So one of the early arguments was that God was a creature, uh, that Jesus was a creature like you. Another early argument was he was just a normal human being who was sort of a good guy, so God adopted him as a son. There are all sorts of, you know, another one is, is that he's just God in the image of a human being, so he didn't really suffer. It was all sort of uh, a Broadway play. The creed is against all the ways that you can go wrong, but all you need to do is say it correctly. Only begotten, begotten of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one Uzias, one substance, same stuff, one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us, men and for our salvation, who for us came down from heaven. So the God who made everything, the God who is from forever, the God who created you, comes to find you when you wander. He was incarnate, right? So he takes carnus, flesh. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, Christmas story, and was made man, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh, and then verse 14, and the Word tabernacled among us, pitched a tent, came to stay, like the tabernacle in the middle of the people of Israel. Same, same, same word, right? And was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. So the great triduum, these three great days in the church. On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures. God keeps his promises and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. All day long, Jesus sits at the Father's right hand, at his ear, and prays for you. That's how he spends his days. You can read about it in Romans 8. Both Jesus and the Holy Spirit spend their days praying for you, interceding for you, begging that you'd be forgiven, asking that you would flourish. This is why you see it's so ludicrous when we say, I'm all alone and nobody loves me and where is God? God spends his days trying to make your life better. And whatever we suffer, we suffer because of our own sins or the sins of others who wound us. And the Lord will bundle all that together for good. So my, um, I had a great friend, brilliant theologian, who suffered a stroke from a medical heir, great brokenness to the church, who laid in his bed paralyzed the last 11 years of his life. The most despairing thing I ever heard him say was, there must be a blessing in this for me somewhere, which is the mark of great faith. You know, to be sort of paralyzed because of somebody else's mistake and not to be 
either miserable or vindictive, but just to say, the Lord must be using this somehow. There must be a blessing for me in this somewhere. That's to confess the creed. That's to remember that God is tender with me. That's to remember that God made me and loved me and came for me. That God prays for me. That they talk over my future. That they're interested in me. Right? And so Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And someday he'll come back. Someday he'll come again with glory. And that then you should think about the angels at Christmas. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. When Jesus comes, everything is glorious. Everything is light. Everything is holy. Everything is forgiven. If only you'll have it. To judge both the living and the dead. And for you who are baptized, nothing to fear. His judgment on you will be, you're my child, come home. I love you, come be with me. Whose kingdom will have no end? So at your funeral, we will say something like, she sits before the face of God in beauty and in light, in warmth and in love, reunited with her creator and all those who have gone before her in the faith. That's the thing you can say of every Christian. And you'll notice that down the side, we're not sort of making this up. There's all these scriptures. This is just sort of people saying, what is it that we believe? It's the St. Irenaeus this week. I don't know if you, you know if you follow the feast days at all, but there was an icon of St. Irenaeus, genius of a guy, second century. His icon, he's standing, at least this one, fully vested, staring straight ahead toward his work, with a lion munching on each shoulder. They cast him to the lions in a persecution. But he is completely steady in going forward, uh, knowing that all is well. Why would somebody die for this, especially when so often the last thing that the evil offer you is to dissent? You remember when these... Coptic Christians were taken from the oil fields by ISIS and one after another they said, deny Christ and live. And, you know, they said things like, Christ is my Savior. Uh, And one by one they slit their throats. This is a few years ago. You can watch it on YouTube, but I wouldn't. Um, And then you remember the last guy was an African man who wasn't a Coptic Christian, but had lived with these people and worked with them. And they said, what about you? You're not one of them. Deny Christ and live. And he said, you know, I'm with them. And so he was the last one who lost his head. And then they were declared saints of the church. Because one of the ways you become a saint is not just a holy life, but a death in persecution. Remarkable stuff that people were able to do that. And then I remember listening to the father of one of the young men say, this is our great victory, and the people who posted this YouTube are idiots because they've done exactly what we needed them to do. They've shown us that, they've shown that we believe in a Christ that stays with us till our end, and our children have been faithful unto death. Can I go? Yeah, that's it. Whose kingdom will have no end. And of course, you can only do that by the Holy Spirit, because you can never sort of muster up that kind of strength on your own. So I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, right? This is why life issues from uh, abortion all the way to euthanasia and suicide and how the government treats it and all these pieces are put together because the very first commandment, life belongs to God. So none of us gets to decide when it's the end of someone else. That belongs only to God. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified. So when you say your prayers, you say them to all three, one, two, three, for each one, specifically what they do, and then the joy that they bring.
who spoke by the prophets. So we speak about the prophets or the apostles being inspired. It means that the Holy Spirit came to them and said, much like he said to Mary, would you please? And they said, of course, or I'd love to, or I'll do my best. So in the most basic sense, it means that God had their way with these persons for a particular task at a particular time, right? And some of them deliver the most amazing things. I acknowledge one baptism, so once you do it, it's done right since God does it. Although you remember we talked about this, and if you're unsure, the basic pastoral rule is no one should be left in doubt. So um, you get baptized once, one baptism, good to go for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead. I'll meet my parents again and people I love and my little brother, old friends. And, and you can make any place in the bulletin where it does this, you make the sign of the cross if you like and the life of the world to come. And that only happens because Christ died for me. So I, tomorrow, you know, sometimes this is a, th a throwaway. And yet this is everything the church believes. Right? This, is, this is who, who God is. And this is what God's done for you. And this is the person God wants you to make, wants to make you into. He wants to make you into a person who says, um, I'd live and die for this. So have a, have a different think about it when you go through tomorrow. Now, that said, two things at once. Questions about that? Yes, Dr. Schlesselman. Curiosity, rubric, I don't know what You're a damn little sinner, Schlesselman. I mean, come on, man. We always do the Nicene Creed, but just then because we have Eucharist in every service, I can't even find the Nicene Creed in the Catechism, just the Apostles' Creed. What's the difference, and why do we use one or the other? Troublemaker. Uh, okay, here, I'm going to hand this out. Do not turn it over. This is just like the Iowa Basic Skills Test. This is your midterm exam. <laughs> the answer's on the back. Do not turn it over. Okay? It's coming to you. So the difference is, um, they play nice together. The Apostles' Creed is what you say. It's what everybody should know to be baptized. And so where you will find it is when you have a baptism, that's what we have people say. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Yes, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Do you believe in His only Son? So uh, classically, at a baptism, or uh, a Eucharist, don't let them cheat, man. I'm going to tell you what, this, that, especially that group on that side. I mean, there's uh, classically at a baptism. Um, look at you guys. You snuck into my garbage can and got one. And got a, I've seen this in Animal House. What? No, I don't know. I don't believe that. Uh, and thanks for letting the Animal House reference just go right by. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so the Apostles' Creed is the basics that you need to know before you get baptized. And the Nicene Creed is the longer creed said by mature Christians as they go to the Eucharist. And that's how you sort of sort it out. If you've got a Holy Supper going, you always say the Nicene Creed. If you've got a baptism going, or a daily office. Um, but daily office just means matins or vespers or daily prayers, usually the Apostles' Creed. So if there's a Eucharist, Nicene Creed. If there's not, Apostles' Creed. It's just that we happen to fancy the Eucharist around here. So Nicene Creed wouldn't be in the small catechism. It will be in the hymnal. Uh, because catechism is prepping you for baptism. Here's the six things you need to know to get baptized. We're just slow here. It takes us longer to get through that. Everybody got one of these? You got a question, young fella? Does anybody else need this? Everybody good? In answer to the, I use the apostles as the You can do that too. That sort of tells me you're not selling the Eucharist, celebrating the Eucharist at your kitchen table too, which makes me happier.
The explanation creed is really long and it says hell, damn, damn, hell a lot. And then it makes people nervous. But I do have people who always accuse me of not really being a Christian because on Trinity Sunday there is an old tradition of the Ath- if you do the Ath- Athanasian Creed is um, quite detailed. You believe this, we believe this, we don't believe that. If you don't believe this and you do believe that, you're going straight to hell. It's a difficult, uh, unexplained, like so many things in the church, unexplained, it's difficult to... Um, kind of say on a regular basis. It's super long. It's probably three and a half times the Nicene Creed. So, I mean, so Schlesselman is getting bored with, you know, just moving from the apostles to the... We could lose him over the Athanasius, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the sort of thing. You've got to be sensitive as a pastor to these guys. Anyway, it's a great creed of the church, St. Athanasius, you know, doctor of the church, genius of a guy. Uh, great for the Christological controversies. A lot of our Christology still follows East and West follows Athanasius. But you don't find it as much because it's almost a technical theological doctrine, doc, document. But actually that's its value, that it's a technical theological document, right? Lo, you may say to me, why does catechumenate go so long? This is the answer right here. Don't you turn it over, that'd be cheating. Look in the front. You people who've played before, no fair. Uh, but if you've never played before, tell me what you see. What do you see? Baby. You do see a baby, good. What do you notice about that baby? He's plump, yes, good. Good, what else do you notice? Really? Go ahead. What do, you, what do you notice about this? This dear way that she cradles him, right? But he seems like a little baby Buddha, right? So we're clearly east of here. And yet you have this very Western sense of the robes that our Blessed Virgin Mother wears, right? So, I mean, this is like, you know, is this Buddha? Is this Mary? Is this Jesus? Is this, who is this, right? So I was on a plane somewhere in 1997. Wow. Surprised I was old enough to fly by myself then. Uh, and I saw this in The Economist, but of course, this is a famous story that's retold again and again through the years of the persecution of Christians in Japan. So the backstory, the, the, the short story is uh, Christians went to Japan. You can look at the back if you want. Christians went to Japan, and it was wildly successful, so, so wildly successful that it seemed a threat to those in charge. And so this, there was this great persecution of Christians uh, and horrible executions, and those who weren't killed, who still believed, were driven underground. And the interesting thing is, Christianity hadn't been there very long, so I think it's 15. So Francis, I'm looking on the back, the part that's high. Francis Xavier arrived 1549, and I think the uh, persecution starts within 100 years. Oh, 1612, there it is. So 1549, you've got 63 years, right? So imagine, you know, you only have 63 years of people learning. You you realize how hard it is and how many mixed up things we think about. If you only have 63 years from start to finish, what happens is the people don't know very much and they don't know it very well. So look on the right side. Uh, So what happens is they get pushed underground and yet they... Uh, they, get, they get to come back up uh, 250 years later, 1873, and there are still um, these Christians, but uh, they didn't all come back to church. They sort of liked being at home. You know, sort of like if there's COVID and people like watching TV on the internet. It's like that, right? Okay, tough crowd. Okay, never mind. So uh, the, look on the right side, just, to, just off the baby's shoulder. The inevitable result of 250 years of underground practice, transmitted orally, so they don't have written Bible, transmitted orally, if they had it, they're burned or destroyed or rare, transmitted orally by a people only lightly schooled in the faith in the first place, was a highly unconventional Christianity. 
a Japanese version of the Bible recreated from memory in the 1820s tells her example of the young holy one debating with Buddhist priests as 12-year-old Jesus was said to have done with the Jewish elders. Two men, Pancha and Parato, right? Pancha's Pilate. You see how this works? It's just like your family. You tell stories, but then you can't remember. Now, was she my great aunt or was she, you know, it's just exactly the same. Two men, Pancho and Parato, are told to go kill children five and under, an edict of Herod's order. Mary gives birth in a stable, but the innkeeper who had spurned her then takes her in. In the wonderfully Japanese touch, he offers her a hot bath, right? So you sort of go, I mean, they're nice stories, but they're not our story. So this is the reason you study. This is the reason uh, the church moves slowly. This is the reason the liturgy stays the same. This is the reason you have a catechism. This is the reason it's Christ and Scripture and prayer and the liturgy and the Eucharist and tithing and alms and witness and mercy. This is the reason, because if you don't continually rehearse it, you will lose it. And this is a great example of that. Right? And below you can read the other part, but basically um, the other observation, which has been a good observation for America over the last 50 or 100 years, is why would anybody join a church that looks just like their society? I mean, as you know, one of the reasons we print everything out is because we mean for what happens there to be otherworldly. Very few people, very few of you are going to go home today and light anything on fire inside your house. Right? You're not going to probably ring bells inside your house. You're not going to dress up and then stay home. What we do is otherworldly. Right? And I know the argument on both sides, and I, I take it, you know, the, I take the understanding of it that you want to make people feel comfortable and, you know, you want to make connections. Yes, of course, this is all true, but you also want to stretch people and introduce them to mystery and give them an alternative to this horrible, cruel world in which we live, and, 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 and. And so that's part of what the church does. And if you don't do that, then you end up with this the ambiguity of, is that baby Jesus or is that baby Buddha? And if it's baby Jesus, what does it mean and why does he sound like baby Buddha? Right? How does this work? So the reason we sort of work so hard at this is that it's true and you want to hold it dear. Now, the other thing is, and I fully expect you to say this, and you should say this, and I say it myself, I don't, I don't understand that. Only begotten, God of God, light of light, born of the Virgin Mary. Yeah, I don't understand that. So here's your, my answer to you. Um, you're young. You're young. You'll get it someday. This is a great story. Okay, so this one that's on the front, this is that's on the front. Right? You see it, if you see it. And everybody got one? It's just such a nice story. In church history course, my last year at Yale Divinity School. This is William Willimon, yeah. So he's in, he's in Divinity School where he should, everybody's being trained to be a pastor. But it's Yale, so you know, you've got to think about it. <clears throat> in church history course, my last year at Yale, the professor invited an Orthodox priest to lecture. He gave a rather dry talk about the development of the creeds, just like I'm doing today. At the end of the lecture... An earnest student, you know, it's nice the benefit of the doubt, an earnest student, somebody wants to be honest, trying to figure out what they believe, an earnest student asked, Father Theodore, what can one do when one finds it impossible to affirm certain tenets of the creed? This happens all the time, right? Je predict, this Easter, National Geographic, in cooperation with Coca-Cola, will put on some we found Jesus' bones in a cave in Jerusalem story. Every year they do. They also find one, every Christmas they put one on about, you know, the Virgin Mary was really raped by a soldier moving through and covered it up in this way, and Jesus is really the bastard son of a centurion. And you kind of go, we, this is not new. Come play Christmas carols. Anyway, the priest looked confused, which is beautiful. You say this to an Orthodox priest, and he looks at you like, not like you're an idiot. He looks at you like, I don't understand the question, which you kind of go, that's because you're pure-hearted. 
The priest looked confused. Well, you just say it. It's not that hard to master. With a little effort, most can get it, learn it quickly by heart. No, no, you don't understand, which is a thing you don't normally say to an old Orthodox priest. No, you don't understand. Like, this is your kid saying to you, like, hey, you don't understand. You Collins, but you, you don't, if only you understand, right? You don't understand, continued the student. What am I to do when I have difficulty affirming parts of the creed, like the virgin birth? The priest continued to look confused. You just say it. Particularly, and I would just give you this pastoral care, particularly when you have difficulty, you just say it. Particularly when you have difficulty believing it, you must keep saying it. It will come to you eventually. So is it you believe and then you do, or you do and then you believe? Well, it's both. But when you're struggling to believe, just do it, right? Exasperatedly, the student, a product of the same church that produced me, and a representative of the 60s, pleaded, how can I with integrity affirm a plea of creed in which I do not believe? And this is the great answer. It's not your creed, young man, said the priest. It's our creed. Keep saying it, for heaven's sake. Eventually, it may come to you. For some... It takes longer than for others, and this is great. How old are you, 23? Don't be so hard on yourself. There are lots of things that one doesn't know at 23. Eventually, it may come to you. Even if it doesn't, don't worry, it's not your creed. There's your answer. I don't believe it, I don't understand it, I don't get it, where do I go? It's all the wrong question. It's not about you. It's not your creed. You just keep saying, how old are you, 23? Don't worry. You don't know lots of stuff at 23. You don't know lots of things at 73 either, right? I'm, I'm, I'm astounded by all the things I don't know. It's, it's, it's like this increase, this is the tsunami of things I, I don't know and don't understand. You know, it just keeps coming at me. You just say it. You say it because the Holy Spirit has worked through the Gospels. You say it because Christ is alive in the church. You say it because people who believe in the Heavenly Father are different from people who don't. You do it because the church, as horrible as it has been at times, has also been fabulous. You do it because it's beautiful. You do it because it's light. You do it because it's merciful. You do it because it changes people. You do it because it bestows a life that breeds life. You just keep doing it. And you know what? Check back with me in 10 years. I do sometimes say to people, you know, and I, I'm not kidding, but everybody always thinks I am, do this for five years and then come back and see me. Right? People can't conceive of the next five minutes. But really, you know, we were talking about prayer books this morning. Um, you know, like the one, that's my third edition of that one, which... Somebody had mercy on me and bought because my other one was falling apart. But I've used about four or four different prayer books in my entire life, right? So I use one for six or eight years, and then I use another one for five or six years, and then I use another one. And then the one I'm using now, I probably have used for five or six or seven years. And they, they shape you, right? Say in the creed, changes you. It shapes you. It, you start to understand things. You realize... You're not all-powerful and you're not all-knowing. You realize you need to get busy, right? But always the notion that I'm in charge and I'm the judge and this is for me, you realize that you make yourself God and break the very first commandment when you do this. I'm God and I'll decide what's true. That's a very bad way to proceed through life, right? What would be far more productive is if you could see people who are wonderful, and you could emulate what they do, especially in old people, when you, when kind of everything falls away and they get close to death and they've seen everything and done everything, and then they say, calmly, but without doubt, this is true. Or, you should repent of that. Or, that's not good for you. 
you start to meet people who can change your life. And you should take seriously the fact that you're in a position to change other people's lives, even if you're only 23, right? Because there's some 12-year-old who thinks you're king of the world and thinks I'm about to turn to dust. So, you know. All right, last thing, at least for today. This famous icon of Rublev, you know. <laughs> Do any of you know? I, I think I'm probably the only person that doesn't know this, so I've, you know, I've been shamed over this you know, my, in the last month or so. Do you know the film Andre Rublev? Do you, any of you seen this? So I showed this to somebody, and a member goes, oh, you have to see this film. And I'm like, so, and I said, I've never heard of it. They said, well, you can borrow mine. It's three hours and 20 minutes long, which for me, like, I don't even want to think about what I'm having for dinner tonight. Three hours and 20 minutes, that is an eternity from now. But I finally, after, after Christmas, you know, I, on a Saturday afternoon, I was embarrassed because I'd had this movie for so long. I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this movie. It's in Russian and in black and white. And nobody can understand it. I know, look, right? <laughs> and I, so I watched the first hour. I'm like, literally, I'm like, what the heck is going on, right? So I put it up. Then the next day I came home from church and I was like, so embarrassed. Thank God the people who lent it to me didn't come to church this morning, so I didn't have to talk to them about it. You know, and then so I watched half an hour and then it was like, then I watched the next half hour and then I'm like, oh, and I watched it. And I was kind of, I mean, I got to the end and I was just going, yeah. Anyway, the history of it is it was still done under the Soviets, under Russia, and, and uh, it got to Cannes and won a special award and kind of took the 60s by storm. Anyway, it was about this guy. It had subtitles, right? It had subtitles, yeah. My Russian is not strong. Even with the subtitles, I got no idea what's going on. So I go to Pastor Nelson, my resident uh, film. Well, first I wrote an Orthodox friend, I said, who I know, I share an interest in icons. I said, have you seen this? He goes, twice. And I bought the book. I'm like, then I go to Pastor Nelson. I'm like, have you seen this? He goes, oh, it's my favorite movie of all time. He starts to give me the history. I've seen it twice. I'm like, You've seen it twice? That would be six hours and 40 minutes. Although I would tell you, it's not on Netflix. So you had to, I had, first I had to, and of course, you know, trying to find a CD player to watch it is like, you know, you might as well be trying to find a, like a steam locomotive. It's, you know, not easy to. Anyway, this guy is a, fa it's fascinating in so many ways. But this is, um, Rublev's is one of the icons. This is the, this is the icon of the Trinity, right? This is it. This is the one the church has said, you know, this is it. And there are several things. And now we played, you know, with the baby Buddha, but you, you know, I just have to say, you weren't strong. I, mean, I love you, but come on, a little more answer here. So just take a look at this. Just tell me what you see. If we have to start with colors, we can do that. But what do you notice here? Come on, be strong. What do you see? Seriously? Come on, come on, come on. Say it again. They all look like women. Isn't that interesting? There is, a, there is a feminine kind of quality there. From the hair to the features, right? Very good. What else do you know? What else do you see? There is a chalice in the middle. Uh, or a plate, but there's at least something there. And I, you know, forgive me for the, you know, the, the quality. But you have at least some dish and food, right? Good. What else do you see? Come on, poke around. What do you see? They all have wings. That's always a good sign. If you're hanging around, some, if you're making new friends, wings are normally good, unless they have those pointy kind, like Batman and demons. And you don't want, but otherwise, okay, you're good. What else do you see? They're all sitting down, so they're, and, and sitting down or lying down is a notion of relaxation or goodwill or the world is good. What did you say, sir, please? They are dark skinned, that's good, yeah. And that there could be, of course, this is 17th century, so I think, I think, so we'd have to think about, no, even, no, even earlier, but yeah, but good. Each one is looking at one of the other ones, does that sound right? 
Yeah, and so now you should be like, that should set your spidey sensors off, right? Right? Because you should immediately start to think three in one and one in three, right? Anything else? They're all wearing blue, which is regularly, you know, this sign of eternity. Like if you look out into a blue sky or into the, you know, it just keeps going and going. Well, they all have blue on. Some of their other clothes are different colors. Yes, that's right. And so if you read icons, then uh, all the different colors have different meanings, right? So sometimes you see Mary, for example, dressed in red, sometimes in blue, depending on the, what they want to show. Good. What else? Yes. Good. Okay. There's something in the bowl on the table. So ashes, you know. Yeah. What is that? How about around their heads? Around each head, you see a nimbus. Yeah, which is the mark of these people are holy in some sense. So two of them are holding their hands in a very specific way. What specific way is that? Right? The Chi Rho, first two letters of Jesus' name, Christos, the Christ, right? So, and, you, and that also then is uh, a mark of blessing, of gentleness, of all is well, of everybody's welcome. And then maybe the less obvious thing, but maybe it's obvious when you see it. By the way, icons actually have a reverse perspective. We're used to seeing, when we look at a picture, we're used to seeing things in the distance get smaller. Icons are often written uh, with a different perspective where things in the back get bigger so that you feel like you're falling into the icon or you're part of the icon or it's very immediate to you. And so people who know that would go, oh, there's an open spot at the front of the table for me. So here are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are about to have a Eucharist. And there's a spot at the front of the table for me. Isn't that glorious? There's only one story. God loves you. God never leaves you. God never hurts you. God sticks with you. God feeds you. God nourishes you. You're part of the family. Welcome home. Now, you probably haven't thought of the creed that way, but I wish you would. You know, and if you can't, just keep saying it. You'll get it, right? Uh, so, but this notion of, you know, how much, how much God loves you and cares for you, right? And so quickly then, um, you know, grab your catechism. We'll just sort of end with this too. You can read uh, the Apostles' Creed. One, uh, sorry, wrong page. Uh, look at the uh, Apostles' Creed 16, which is not quite as comprehensive, but if you go over to Dave Schlesman's house, you can say it together today. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Same as the uh, beginning of the Nicene Creed, a little shorter. What does this mean? God made me. God made everything. He gave me all I've got, body, soul, eyes, ears, all my members. He also gives me everything I need, clothing, shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and kids, land, animals, all I've got. He always cares for me richly and daily. Gives me all I need. He protects me, defends me from all danger, guards me, right, from all evil. So God makes you and God sustains you and God protects you and God blesses you. And all this he does because he's my father. Fatherly, divine, goodness, mercy without merit, without worthiness in me. And so my duty is to thank and praise, serve, and obey. But duty is a bit strong. Um, when somebody loves you that much, uh, you just simply say, I love you back. So, and then the second article, Jesus Christ, his only son, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, buried, descended, rose, ascended, sits at the right hand of God. And someday he'll come back and judge the living and the dead. So what does that mean? Well, I believe in Jesus Christ, true God, begotten from eternity, also true man, born of the Virgin Mary. So two natures, true God, true man in one person, two natures in one person, right? That's my Lord, that's my guy. 
He redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, person, sorry, memory work, you know, pounded into me, can't get rid of it. Purchased and won me from all, from my sins, from death, from the power of the devil. There's all kinds of ways to talk about justification. Declaring people righteous, redeeming people, Christ our Redeemer, buying them back, making wrongs right. I've tried to kind of give you different ones of those on different days. From the power of the devil, not gold or silver, with his holy precious blood, God washes the world in his own blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And so often, you know, we don't say enough about that, that Jesus wasn't innocent. We're so, you know, we're so fixated on people who die unjustly, but, you know, the greatest injustice was the death of Jesus, one who was wholly, completely innocent and executed after a sham trial and for the political gain of, uh, yeah. That I may be his own. I'd love to be his. I'd like to have my seat at the table and live with him in his kingdom. Let's go to the Eucharist and serve him. Hey, let's be Christians in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Just as he's risen from the dead and reigns for all eternity. So he's risen, I'll risen, life's good, we're together, here we go. Christ scripture prayer, Eucharist, tithing and alms, mercy, witness. People will come if we live in that way. People will flee if we don't. And then the third article, uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. What does that mean? This is one of the greatest lines in the catechism. I believe that I can't believe. I believe I can't believe. I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. I believe... I can't believe, which means I can't do anything, which means I can't decide for Christ, which means I can't work my way to heaven, which means I can't make excuses for my sins, and I can't make a deal to clean up after them. I believe I can't believe, but this is pure grace now. Uh, The Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, so he calls me, come home, I love you. Enlightened me, right? God of God, light from light, very God of very God, enlightened me. We talk about illumination. We talk about understanding. We talk about reason. We talk about knowing. We talk about following the light, right? The Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts. Hey, I finally understand it. I kept saying it, and now I understand it. Enlightenment, sanctified, which means to hallow me. So that means I'm forgiven now. And someday, um, when I sit before God, uh, I'll be perpetually holy, as you will be too. And he's kept me in the true faith, right? So I'm only a Christian because the Holy Spirit makes me a Christian. In the same way, he what? Calls, gathers, enlightens, sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth. It's the same for everybody. God says, I love you. Won't you play? Stick with me. I'll care for you and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith, in which Christian church he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. God is in the sin-forgiving business, right? On the last day, he'll call me in all the dead and, in etern- and give eternal life to me and all believers. Hey, this is true. You can count on this. It's all good stuff. And if you're nervous about it, just keep saying it. It'll come to you. All right, that was a little longer because I do want to um, I want to be sensitive to the fact that you've gotten up many mornings and uh, many Saturday mornings in a row. So I really do want to finish up by the end of September. We'll go or September, sorry. <laughs> I do actually do want to finish up by the end of September, by the end of February. So we'll go three or four more times. Please come if you can, because this is. Um, it gets extraordinarily important as you get closer to say, you know, I'm in and um, this is what I want. And it's especially important for me at a time when we're going to be in transition over the next few years. And yet you want, I want, you want St. John to carry on in a particular direction and be a, uh, a wonderful and unique kind of place. So it's really important that new people who come know exactly what they're in for and really 
don't just understand the direction and agree to it, but really can push toward it. It's important for you to maintain it. I mean, you know this, any good thing is very difficult to build and any good thing can be broken very quickly, you know. It's so important to, to keep going, to work together, to all be pulling on the same end of the rope, to all see the same vision, to all live in mercy. It's so important. It's so important. Um, so, I mean, that's it, partly why we spend so much time at this, because if you don't all agree, um, things will fly apart. And that would be a great sadness because this really is a, a wonderful place. And you're wonderful and you should be part of a wonderful place. So, anyway, I love you all. Thank you very much. Uh, let's pray. You can stick around chat if you want. But kind of mark in your head three or four more times and then you'll be free. And that is actually then when Ash Wednesday starts. So we'll go right into Lent and um, there'll be a bit more uh, reflection and uh, a lot to think about toward Easter. Okay. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you tomorrow.